Hey everyone, it's Dr. Heather Hirsch, and thank you for tuning into today's episode on the podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about what if you have a vascular risk factor that could be a history of a blood clot. That could be a family history of a blood clot. We could even throw in things like migraines or other vascular syndromes. What if you have a history of one of those? Are you a candidate to use hormone therapy in the perimenopausal phase or in menopause? I've got asked this question so much over on Instagram. So that's what we're getting into today. Stick around and let's dive right in. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Mother's Day celebration. I can say that the best thing about my Mother's Day was how excited my husband got my four-year-old daughter for the idea that there was a Mother's Day. And, you know, in typical four-year-old fashion, she drew me a bunch of pictures, mostly of my little ponies. And then she came up and asked me, Mom, is there a Sister's Day? It was so cute because I could tell she put together the idea that there was maybe another day we get to celebrate her. So toddlers are just so wonderful. Anyways, well, happy Mother's Day to many of you who are mothers, those of you who wish you were mothers, those of you who have mothers, any of you, happy Mother's Day. First, I want to tell you some really exciting updates. So I've been doing a lot of solo casting and you guys have been really great at just listening to me talk. And I can tell that the iTunes algorithm is loving that because again, I'm seeing this podcast in the top 100, sometimes in the top 50, very rarely actually in the top 10 of podcasts in the medicine category on iTunes. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing and Thank you for writing reviews and giving stars to this podcast because it's helping other women across the globe find this show and be a source of evidence-based information in menopause and perimenopause. So thank you so much. One of the next ventures that I am looking to do is potentially starting a, another platform and website called Menopause Member. So head over to menopausemember.com and you can put your email in there if you want updates specifically on what's going on with Menopause Member. It's kind of like my own little menopause secret society. <laughs> so stick around if you're interested in learning more about that. It's going to be a lot more content from me than go over to Menopause Member member.com and check it all out. And also your girl joined TikTok. Yeah, I know. I thought I would never, ever, ever do such a thing. And, you know, I thought, well, that's just not where my target audience is. And I don't know if that's totally true because I was looking at statistics for TikTok when I decided, do I want to spend my time here? And there's a lot of users, certainly over maybe a billion because it's it's global. And even though a small percent are over the age of probably even 35, but in the demographic that I'm usually talking to, which is 35 to 65, and really where I have the most is 45 to 55, there was a very small percentage, but a small percentage 
percentage of a billion. It's probably a lot. So I've been over on TikTok and I'm at Heather Hirsch MD, just like my Twitter handle, which is at Heather Hirsch MD. But I just want to give a minute here to talk about how fun TikTok is. So if you've not, or if you've been like me and you've not wanted to download TikTok, don't want to be a part of it. Seems like it's so much geared for younger people. You've got to give this app a try because it is really, really fun. It's kind of like taking the parts of Instagram that are so over curated and like getting rid of that and just laughing. And I have been astonished by people's creativity. And again, if you are in the age range that I, you know, target or mostly people listen to me in the 35 to 65 age range, there are so many women still in that age group that are posting and doing such funny, hilarious stuff. I was thinking, out loud to myself the other day when I was thinking about sexual health and libido and I had fired off a few TikToks and all of a sudden now that dopamine rush was coming in and mind you I don't have a lot of followers or you know but it was so much fun to create a TikTok and to put it out in the world and all that dopamine rush I thought oh what a fun way to to boost your libido start TikTok I'm absolutely serious so anyways I am on TikTok. You've got to check it out. If you haven't, go over there and follow me. And it's just such a fun platform. And I want to give it a shout out because I was definitely on the no way, not doing this, no how, but I've really, really bought into the Kool-Aid. And last update, I have Dr. Jen Gunther scheduled to come on the podcast in a couple of weeks. If you don't already follow her on Instagram or on Twitter, you definitely have to. She is such a wonderful and very outspoken OBGYN who has written the Vagina Bible, which many of you have read and I've recommended. And she has a new book coming out as well, all about midlife and menopause. So I'm so excited. So stay tuned. That's coming up soon. So today I really wanted to focus on the women who have been asking me about the risk factors of using hormone therapy if they have had a history of a certain vascular condition. And I think this is a really important topic. And if you don't have a history of a vascular condition, definitely still check this out. One, because I know so many of you are my advocates and my menopause warriors, so you want all the information that you can have. But secondarily, blood clot is the biggest risk in taking hormone therapy in general. So you definitely want to know a little bit about this if you're thinking about hormone therapy or if you have started hormone therapy. So what is the risk of a blood clot? I just said that was the biggest risk factor, and it is. Now, there's a lot of older studies on this, and there certainly needs to be some updated studies. And the reason I point that out is the older studies before the Women's Health Initiative came out were mostly on oral preparations and the conjugated equine estrogen uh, specifically, which is Premarin or Prempro if you're using it, the estrogen and the progesterone combined. Again, not that there's anything particularly wrong with those medications. I don't want to demonize them, although I know a lot of people do not want to use Premarin or Prempro or the conjugated estrogens that come from horses' urine. However, that's just where a lot of our older studies do come from, and that's what they used in the WHI, which is the biggest study on hormone therapy and is the one that's quoted the most often in terms of risk for blood clot. Now, post-WHI, 
there has been a shift in using a lot more transdermal preparations of estrogen. So the patch or a spray or a gel, because they've been known to lower your risk for blood clot. And the interesting component of that is what about the progestin? Cause there's many different types of progestins you can use. So for a lot of these, I'm going to make a little bit of generalizations here and I will denote what that research comes from, i.e. which preparation. So for the average woman, the risk of blood clot on oral hormone therapy is one in a thousand. And this comes from the Women's Health Initiative. And that was statistically significant. Now, the reason we care about blood clots, well, one, we don't want you to have any type of blood clot, but we care about it because if a piece of that clot breaks off and goes to your lungs, you could have what's called a pulmonary embolism, which certainly could be life-threatening. So we don't want you to have blood clot, and we definitely don't want you to have a blood clot so you don't have a risk for a pulmonary embolism. Now, the risk of pulmonary embolism, if you take that one step further on oral conjugated equine estrogens, was much lower than that and not statistically significant. So we just need to point out which is statistically significant. On transdermal preparations, so using estradiol, which is the bioidentical estradiol, but again, you want FDA-approved bioidentical estrogen, you don't want to use compounded non-FDA-approved estradiol. On the transdermal preparations of estradiol, the patch, the spray, and the gel, the risk for blood clot is is lower. It's about one in 2000. Now I want to tell you that the risk for blood clot is highest in the first three to six months. And then after that time frame, it pretty much goes down to zero. So to say this in layman's terms, if you have been on your hormone therapy for more than six months and you haven't had a blood clot, you're probably not because your risk is going to go right back down to zero. Your risk for blood clot does not continue to increase like every single year. That doesn't make any sense. What could increase your risk for blood clot, however, is if you have another cardiovascular or vascular disease. And that's why if you're on hormone therapy, you want to have your annual visit with your menopause doctor and discuss with them any new medical conditions or diagnoses that you have. But otherwise, if you're staying healthy and you're staying well and nothing really big or new is happening, then the risk for blood clot is going to go back down to zero. Now you might be saying one in a thousand or one in 2000. Gee, that's not that low. Well, it's not. It's also not that high. And I want to compare this to things that you've probably done in your life that have increased your risk for blood clot much more. But the fear of all fears wasn't instilled in you like it is when you take postmenopausal hormone therapy. So what is one thing that has increased your risk for blood clot more than the use of postmenopausal hormone therapy? Well, if you've ever been on a combined oral estrogen progesterone birth control tab, that is going to also increase your risk for blood clots and even a little bit higher than postmenopausal hormone therapy because the dose of the estrogen is higher in the postmenopausal dose. So if you have been on birth control pills for, let's say you took birth control pills for a few years or even a decade or two, and you never had a blood clot, well, that tells me that based on your past medical history, you're just not a blood clotter. So that's all and good. 
Now, there's another thing that could have increased your risk for blood clot even more than that, and that is being post-op from a surgery or any type of surgical procedure. When we're post-op, we have an increased risk for blood clot in the first couple of days after. So I might also ask you if you've had any blood clots after you had a knee surgery or shoulder surgery or hysterectomy or et cetera, and if you didn't have any blood clots after that, that's another sort of note to me that you're probably not at terribly increased risk for blood clots. And finally, the other thing that has increased your risk for blood clots, even more than all of those that many of you have already done, is being pregnant. Being pregnant can increase your risk for blood clot tremendously. In fact, that's the reason we accept the risk of blood clot on birth control pill because we don't want you to have an unintended pregnancy and the risk for blood clot is much higher if you are pregnant. So if you were pregnant, if you were on birth control pills, if you were post-op from surgery, if you did one of those things, all of those things, and you didn't have any blood clots, most likely you've already given yourself little stress tests. And if you've passed them all with flying colors, you're probably going to be just fine on postmenopausal hormone therapy. And therefore you can choose between oral and transdermal. Now I did a great YouTube video all about this, picking the PAT or a transdermal estrogen over oral. So head over to my YouTube channel. It's Health by Heather Hirsch and it's in there called Patch versus Oral. And you know, one of the things that I have seen over the last few years is that when this data came out that the patch decreased the risk for blood clot over oral, almost everyone went to the patch. But I have to tell you, the patch does not work for everyone. And if your risk for blood clot is particularly low and oral is just going to work better with your lifestyle or is just more efficacious for you or matches up the symptoms that you might have better, which oral is better known to control and check out my video on YouTube for that, then there is no big reason you need to worry about using oral versus transdermal. Now, what we're going to get into next after just covering the basics here is what if you have a history of a vascular disease? So let's get right into it. I just want to remind you that my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know, Your Doctor Never Told You, is available for you to take online at your own pace. This six-hour course that I created covers everything you could ever want to know about menopause. Ideally, it's like sitting with me in an office and having a long conversation about menopause, the definitions, the facts, and the evidence behind making the right decision for you. In this course, I really walk you through how to come out of this journey feeling confident and successful instead of confused and frustrated, which is what I find so many women go through and why I became a menopause doctor and why I created this course for you. If you want to learn more about the course, simply go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com slash course. There you can also find all the wonderful reviews and you can browse through all of the different lessons and the first one is free. So check it out today. All right. So again, now that you know that there is a baseline risk for blood clot, which is higher in people who are prone to having blood clots, most likely they have some underlying coagulable mutation or other disorder or some type of cardiovascular risk that's putting them at increased risk. Since there already is that baseline risk, if you add something on top of that, the risk could be too much. And therefore we say that 
postmenopausal hormone therapy, unfortunately, is contraindicated. So what are the ones that are just right off the bat, you're not a good candidate for hormone therapy, unfortunately, is anyone with a history of a lung clot, also known as a pulmonary embolism. Now, this is obvious because this is the most life-threatening type of clot. This is the reason, this is probably like the sole reason that even venous clots, which are the kind that you get in your calf or in your leg, are so feared is because we don't want you to be at risk for a pulmonary embolism. So if you have had a pulmonary embolism, no matter what the circumstance, unfortunately, this means that estrogen is off the table. Now, another contraindication that's quite strong to using estrogen in the postmenopausal hormone therapy regimen, because it's the estrogen that increases your risk, not necessarily the progestin, it's really more the estrogen, is a history of a stroke, especially if you have residual deficits from that stroke. And so a stroke is going to be a fairly strong contraindication to hormone therapy. Now, what's not such a strong or clear picture or of contraindication to hormone therapy is a provoked blood clot. So what is a provoked blood clot? Well, if you compare this to an unprovoked blood clot, an unprovoked blood clot means you get a blood clot from doing nothing. You're sitting watching TV. All of a sudden you develop a red, hot, swollen, tender leg. You go to the emergency room or to the doctor. They do an ultrasound. They see a blood clot. You aren't doing anything. And so that is an unprovoked blood clot. And that is a strong contraindication to hormone therapy. In comparison, a provoked blood clot means that there was some instance provoking you. So a clear example of this is a car accident or any type of high trauma situation. So let's use car accident, for example. If you were in a big car accident and you had a blood clot after that car accident, we think that that blood clot was not because of an underlying genetic mutation. It was due to intense stress and inflammation based on a trauma And because of that, you actually could use hormone replacement therapy because we don't think that necessarily you're at increased risk for clot, but if you hadn't gotten in the car that day and had a huge traumatic injury, you probably wouldn't have had a blood clot. So you can use hormone therapy if you've had a provoked blood clot in the setting of trauma. Now, because you've already had one blood clot, and I certainly don't want you to have another under my watch, I usually do recommend transdermal estrogen options. And we just said that transdermal options do reduce the risk of blood clot. So just to be extra cautious, we do recommend transdermal preparations. So that is something really important to know if your blood clot was due to trauma. Now, what if you had a blood clot in the setting of estrogen? So for example, if you had a blood clot in the setting of birth control pills or pregnancy where you have really high levels of estrogen, well, unfortunately, because that blood clot was likely sort of the tipping point was the additive estrogen in the birth control pill or in your body because of pregnancy, then we also say that postmenopausal hormone therapy is contraindicated because again, we don't want to have you at increased risk for blood clot. All right, moving on is a question that I get very frequently, and I find this a great platform to really educate you and have you advocate for yourself. But a family history of a blood clot is not 
I would say is not a strong contraindication to hormone therapy. Because remember, there's many different reasons for a blood clot. So so just saying my mom had a blood clot doesn't mean you cannot use hormone therapy, doesn't mean that you are inherently at increased risk for a blood clot yourself, even though, you know, you may have the same genetic makeup, but you might not have the exact same genetic makeup, or perhaps her blood clot was provoked in the setting of trauma, or I didn't explicitly say yet, so here's a good place to interject this, a post-operative blood clot is also considered a provoked or a trauma-inducing clot. And so if it was post-op, then you could still be a candidate for hormone therapy. And again, I still use transdermal preparations just to be uber-duber safe. But who knows? Your doctor may not know that your mom had a provoked blood clot from a car accident. It might just say blood clot in the chart. And your doctor said, well, you can't use hormone therapy because your mom's had a blood clot. And that is just much too simplistic. And that's not giving enough depth and breadth of thought into who's a candidate for hormone therapy and who is not. So just because you have a family history of blood clots does not mean you cannot use hormone therapy. When a patient tells me they have a history of blood clots in their family, I want to get a strong family history. So what you want to do is ask those family members who had the blood clot, what was the inciting event? Was it sitting and watching TV or was it a car accident? Was it after a surgical procedure or was it during or after immediately after a pregnancy? You want to know what was the inciting cause, and you want to know how many family members were affected. Were they first-degree relatives, second-degree relatives, etc.? If it doesn't seem like the family history is very strong or doesn't seem like it's genetic, then you could still use hormone therapy. And if you're still really worried, then choose transdermal. If the family history does look really strong or it looks like there's an inherited or genetic component based on the number of family members that are afflicted and based on the, you know, inciting event, if it was just watching TV, they're all just like TV, then I would probably do some genetic screening tests for you. Now, one of the biggest known genetic markers or mutations that can increase your risk for a blood clot is called factor five Leiden. So many people have asked me about factor five Leiden mutation. And we're going to get into that in a second, but those are the things that I'm checking for and some other coagulable patterns. So even conditions like, um, autoimmune conditions like lupus or antiphospholipid antibody and some other antibodies will check. These can also put you at increased risk for blood clot. So there is a panel that your doctor should check before just deciding off the bat that you can, or you can't most commonly take hormone therapy. So remember a family history of a blood clot does not mean that you have no options. In fact, not at all. Most of the time, a family history of blood clot is not a contraindication to my patients. Very rarely it is, but it deserves a full workup and a full explanation for you. So what about factor five Leiden? Well, I have to say before I sat down to record this, I scoured the internet to see what was the most recent research and almost everything was published before the WHI. So in the early 2000s, so 2002 was the main study I could find on factor five Leiden. And of course this was using most was using oral estrogens. And so Certainly, the recommendation was not to use hormone therapy because of the increased risk of blood clot with a known genetic mutation. Now, 
One of the questions I often ask is, did you have one allele or two alleles that were mutated? Because that makes a big difference. If it was a homozygous mutation, meaning both alleles were knocked down, then I would definitely say it's a contraindication to hormone therapy. If you had one allele that was knocked down, but the other wasn't, then this means that you're risk is not as high as if you had both alleles knocked down. And therefore you may, or we may consider a very low dose of transdermal depending on what your results of that mutation were. Now, for those of you who don't know what an allele is, it's something that you probably learned about in ninth or 10th grade biology. And it means that for every gene you have two you have two people voting, right? For your eye color, it's big B, little B. If you have one big B because that's dominant, then you have brown eyes. If you have two little Bs and that's how you get blue eyes. So that's what alleles are. But, you know, for factor five Leiden mutation, I, I have to say, interestingly, I haven't seen a lot of patients come to my clinic with it, probably because they've already been told they can't use hormone therapy. And probably what I would really do in that scenario is make sure I max out all of the non-hormonal options. If they were still really symptomatic, I might check to see if they had both of their alleles knocked down, in which case they're contraindicated. But if they have one healthy allele of the factor five, then perhaps they could use a very low dose transdermal if they've not had any blood clots. So factor five Leiden is a very complicated one and something that you definitely would want to see, I think, a menopause expert for. And again, if you want a menopause expert, go to the NAMS website, that's menopause.org and go under search for a provider and check for your zip code. But I know many of you on Instagram have asked me about factor five Leiden. And again, I think overarchingly, it's likely contraindicated, especially if you've had a blood clot already, because we don't want to put you at increased risk for blood clot. That's something that could seriously harm you, even though it seems like on some days menopause could seriously harm you. If you're some really symptomatic and had only one allele down and you haven't had a history of a blood clot, I may walk you through the options for transdermal estrogen. Now, lower doses are going to decrease your risk for blood clot more, but not that significantly. But I would still say we could try a low dose transdermal option, although this is probably controversial. And so it's going to be very physician dependent. Now, lastly, before we end the show, let's also talk about migraines. So migraines also get a, a lot of uh, press, especially because there is this, you know, thing stuck in clinicians' minds that if you have a history of migraines with aura, you can't use birth control pills that contain estrogen. Of course, most birth control pills do contain estrogen, although there is one that is progesterone only, which is fine. Now, more research has shown that the risk of stroke with um, birth control pills overall is really low as we have started to lower the estrogen in combined estrogen progesterone pills. And now we will use those types of pills for women with the migraines without aura. So that's where this idea comes from. Like, ah, if I have migraines, I can't use hormone therapy. But data shows that if you do have migraines, once you're postmenopausal and you're using postmenopausal estrogen, which is much, much, much lower doses of estrogen than is in combined uh, birth control pills, it is okay to use hormone therapy. And we recommend transdermal preparations for the same reason I've been recommending throughout this show. And one more last thing is I have heard a lot of people ask about an MTHFR mutation. Now, what the MTHFR mutation 
does is it it means that you can't convert the active form, or you can't convert folate to its active form in your brain. And so if you have that mutation, sometimes we'll give you the active form of folate in the form of deplin or serifolin, which is just essentially a vitamin, but it's not really been shown to increase risk for blood clots. So an MTHFR mutation in my mind is not a reason you couldn't use hormone therapy. And lastly, I keep saying lastly, I think I've said lastly, like three or four times, people have been asking me about, can they take the COVID vaccine in if they have, you know, if they're on hormone therapy? And the answer so far is absolutely yes. So we don't think that the vaccine increases your risk for blood clots above statistical significance or above baseline, essentially is what I'm saying. So yes, you can absolutely take the COVID vaccine if you are on hormone therapy. All right, guys, you know, I like to get these in in under 30 minutes. I know all of you are super busy, but thank you so much for listening. And I hope this episode was really helpful for all of you who are considering or who are taking hormone therapy and breaking down the risk of blood clot. Overall, it is extremely overestimated by the media and probably by your clinician as well. There are many vascular conditions, which can mean you have a contraindication to using estrogen therapy. And the obvious ones are history of a blood clot, history of a PE, history of a stroke, but there are some that are a little bit more in the gray zone. So while a history of a blood clot is on that list, only if it's a unprovoked blood clot, if it's provoked, like the setting of trauma or immediately post-op, you could definitely use transdermal estrogen. Same thing with migraine, you could use transdermal estrogen. And if you have a family history of blood clot, you need to be checked for genetic predispositions and mutations and get the final answer on if you can take hormone therapy or not. And factor five Leiden is kind of a toughie. Most likely it's going to be contraindicated and we'll just stick with that to end off the show. But as everything, to me, there is no black and white, right? It really comes down to quality of life and actual risk. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Please give this podcast a star or review. Definitely check out menopausemember.com and I will see you guys next week. Bye everyone.